They tried to stop my shine, but I said, hold up. Y'all know how many hoes done tried to hold this hoe up. Talk to music. I keep it 100, I always stay true. These other hoes phony and acting brand new. They shady, I watch them turn friend into foe. Then I cut them off, cause you reap what you sow. Snip, snip, ho. Hey, a snip, snip, ho. Hey, a snip, snip, ho. Hey, a snip, snip, ho. Hey, oh, what's up? How y'all doing this week? I said, how y'all doing this week? I said, how y'all doing this week? I said, how y'all doing this week? Welcome to Craig's Pop Life, a black gay excursion into pop culture. I'm your host, Craig Seymour. You know me. I've been writing about pop culture for more than 20 years now. You can read some of my music writing at rnbeing.com. I'm also an author who has written a number of books, starting with the biography Luther, The Life and Longing of Luther Vandross, my memoir about being a grad school stripper hoe, All I Could Bear, My Life in the Strip Clubs of Gay Washington, D.C., and my novel about three generations of black gay men looking for love, Who's Your Daddy? And then my forthcoming special, The Life and Art of Janet Jackson. Coming soon to an Amazon.com near you. Um, I also have a website where you can find links for the songs and other stuff that I discuss on the show. It's easy to remember. It's just craigspoplife.com. So what's up, everybody? What's up? How y'all doing this week? I'm still sort of recovering from spending last weekend in my good old Chocolate City hometown of Washington, D.C. Had a great time in town, hanging out with my cousins, eating crabs, drinking that good $2.99 Trader Joe's Shiraz wine, and playing Go-Go Records on the good Bluetooth. Like I've said before, I, I think I've said this before, I'm not the biggest Go-Go fan. You know, I'm from D.C. I know this, these are fighting words in some quarters, um, maybe even within my own family. But, um, you know, but I do recognize it as some of the blackest shit ever invented um, on these shores. And I mean, that is that at its core, you know, all it is is drums and repetition, which is the foundation of so many um, West African musical traditions. So I do recognize Gogo for what it is. And the interesting thing about Gogo, like, is Gogo, in terms of the continuity of Gogo, I don't know really any other music that matches it and that has sustained for so long. Because, like, if you say something like uh, New York rap, New York hip hop, that has gone through several variations. I mean, you could start with like the Sugar Hill Gang, and then you get into like the '80s and the Eric B. and Rakim's, and the, you know the Rob Bases and stuff like that. Then you get into the '90s with the, you know the whole like DJ Premier stuff, the whole Pete Rock and CL Smooth, the whole then the whole Bad Boy era and everything like that. My point being is that New York hip hop, the sound of it has radically changed over the years well go-go still basically be sounding the way it sounded when um you know for as long as that since chuck brown busting loose what was that like 78 or something like that um you know and it so anyway um they were catching me up on all sorts of go-go stuff like i had no idea 
that there was that there existed on this earth a cover of Adele's Hello, a go-go cover of Adele's Hello by Backyard Band. Like I was shook, but um, it's it's out there and it cranks, it's banging. I do like it, so I'll put that on the website. Um, for those of you, I know some of y'all are going so old, and it is old, but I just ain't know. So some of y'all, I'm sure, did not know as well. A lot of y'all, more majority of y'all, if you're not from D.C. or the area, or you didn't go to Howard or pass through D.C. at some point in your life, probably don't care. But nevertheless, I will put the Google cover of Adele's Hello on the Craig's Pop Life website. But anyway, I was in town to celebrate the 100th birthday of my grandmother. Some of y'all may have noticed they showed her on the Today Show with the whole Smuckers thing and a lot of people responded to it because her name is um, Vanilla Bean, B-E-A-N-E. And um, a lot of people can't believe it's real, but it's true because her maiden name was Powell, is Powell. And my granddaddy's name was Willie Bean, um, a very black name, if I can say so, if I do say so myself. Anyway, so Vanilla Powell would marry Willie Bean and she became Vanilla Bean. So... Just a little family history that got a little attention in the um, last week. And anyway, she's also known as the Hat Lady of D.C. because she's been making hats for decades. She has her own shop in D.C., Benet Millinery. You know how black folks will Frenchify stuff. So she, she didn't want it to be Bean Millinery. It's Benet with an accent over the E. Thank you very much, Benet Millinery. And I used to work in the shop as a teenager. So anyway, and she's made hats, um, including several for Dorothy Height, who was the president of the National Council of Negro Women for 40 years. So um, there were a lot of events over the weekend, including a photo shop, a a photo shoot at one of my favorite places, the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. And if you go... My grandmother is featured in an interactive digital exhibit on the top floor. And basically, like you see, and you can push blue buttons and you find out about her life and you see pictures of her and you get to see um, one of her hats from multiple angles. So do be sure to check that out if you do get to the museum. And I'll also put a link to the museum's IG post about my grandmother on the website. And it shows her looking at her own, um, you know, I mean, imagine looking at her own digital display, this interactive exhibit on her life, and you can just imagine how it must feel. You know, I mean, just who could even, I mean, even 20, you know, 30 years ago, you couldn't even imagine like digital screens and touch screens and all that business. And, you know, even then the, um, National Museum of African American History and Culture is only, I think it's like three years old. So it's like all these recent things and and she's a part of it. So I just imagine that that's just must be a crazy feeling um, for her. And I didn't have a lot of time to look around this time. I've been to the museum a couple of times now, um, a few times. But every time I go, I do make sure um, to at least walk through the restored segregated railroad car. Now this particular train that they have in the museum, it was um train car, it was used in on routes in Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida. I, I don't know. I've always had this obsession with sort of the the migration experience on a train or something for as long as I can remember. Like I always been obsessed with um 
like the Pullman Porter experience. And just as a side note, because um, we talk about music so much, Pullman Porters actually would um, bring records like from the north down south or vice versa and, and sell records to people because, you know, obviously there wasn't no record chains or nothing at the time. And that was one way that black music or race records, which they were called in the early days, that's a lot of ways they were distributed through Pullman Porter. So, you know, it's all connected. And I don't know, I just get so emotional each time I walk through the car and, you know, you start in the spacious ass white section of the car. Bathrooms be luxurious as a motherfucker. Like, and there's a, like a men's and women's bathroom. Like you can lay your whole stuff down. I know people in New York City, the apartments aren't even as big as these white people's bathrooms on this um, segregated car, okay? But then you make your way to the cramp colored section, um, you know, and just the idea of this journey just speaks to me um, in so many different ways. I mean, obviously, just simply as a black man thinking about leaving the Jim Crow South. Um, and one thing I think doesn't get talked about enough when we think about sort of the migration experience is kind of like how hard it was for people to leave by train. It wasn't just getting the money together and stuff like that, but there were like white people actually actively, aggressively, violently stopping black folks from getting on the trains because they didn't want to lose the labor force. So something so, so just to take this train ride, which was sort of perilous and is kind of unexpected and as it was, you know, going from the place where you were raised to some unknown place, you know, in the north or the west or the um, Midwest or wherever, like you had to leave your house in the middle of the night, you know, in the wee hours of the morning and maybe go to a couple of towns over where they didn't know you in order to even be able to board the train because people, you know, maybe that owned the the head, you know, that you were sharecropping for or something like that, they were not going to let you just go by yourself. So, you know, and, and they would have nobody to, to work the land. So it was crazy. So that just, you know, those are just things that go through my mind. I'm just kind of a person that I always kind of just, I don't know, I just always like to put myself in a historical frame of mind and just imagine um, how it was to be in a certain place and what would be going through your mind. And so walking through the train is also significant to me as a black gay man, because I can imagine that many black gay men left the South, not just to escape the racism, um, but also just maybe, you know, the small town scrutiny and stuff and how you wanted to live your life and stuff. And maybe, you know, you I mean, people do that now. They have they leave their hometowns and stuff and go somewhere to um, be able to live, even if you're not really living openly out loud and proud as a gay man. You, you know, you are at least feel like you're released from that kind of pressure of the scrutiny of the small town where you grew up in. So I don't know. So that's an, all, all those things go through my head. And I just kind of like to be in the car and just kind of marinate in all this history for a little bit every time I go. So all that is basically to say that I love the National Museum of African American History of Col and Culture. And it's definitely worth a whole ass trip to D.C. just to go to it. I mean, really, like, if that's all you do when you're in D.C., that would be enough. And I think, and you'll be more than um, 
satisfied for the experience. And this is something I just learned um, a couple of weeks ago is that it's now become a lot easier to visit the museum because for a time you had to have a, a ticket, like a time ticket, entry ticket every time you went. And it was at those mugs would be sold out, not sold out because they were free, but like they would be all given out months in advance and stuff. So it was really crazy. But now, from now until February, you don't need an entry pass on weekdays, only on weekends. Um, so, you know, you could take you a little day off or take you a little sick day and go visit. It definitely will be worth your while. But, and this is important too, um, just another thing that I kind of have been experiencing myself, but haven't really talked about or realized the significance of it, but you can really experience a lot that the museum has to offer through its social media and through the museum's website. Because the museum's IG page is everything, and not just because it featured my grandmama. Um, not only does it have great photos, but the captions are really nicely written and they are comprehensive. I mean, you really get your good history lesson from reading those um, IG captions. Um, damn near get a degree in African-American history just from reading them, or at least an associate's or something. You know what I mean? So, um, and then the website, which I'll link to on my website, has this great search the collection feature where you can search by topics like family, clothing address, music, and even LGBTQ+, um, which is just amazing for the queer experience to be so openly acknowledged um, in you know, the museum, it's just really um, fantastic, I feel. And you can also search people by name to see if they're in the collection and what they have. And just for my Jan fam, people, just so you know, if you search for Janet's name, you'll discover that the museum has one of Penny's good time dresses in its collection. So I don't know if they if the Penny dress is on um, display. I've I, never seen it that I can remember. So we might need to get together and petition to get the penny dress, the penny good times dress displayed because that would be fantastic. But um, like I said, all this is kind of just a sidebar, just my, um, what I was, you know, reflecting on my weekend in DC, but just basically, you know, the museum really does have a lot to offer in terms of the in-person experience, but also in terms of the web and social media experience. So you definitely should check it out. Um, so anyway, what else is going on this week? Did y'all watch Rihanna's Savage Fenty fashion show on Amazon Prime? I mean, I loved it. But if you haven't watched yet, I have to have a bit of advice. Um, I'd suggest you speed through. It starts with all this behind the scenes stuff and this making of. But the problem is if you watch all that, then that's spoiled. You don't got no surprises when you watch the fashion show. So I would suggest if you have not watched, um, and I wish I had done it like this, I would speed through all the making of and start just with the fashion show and experience the fashion show and then go back and rewind and watch the behind the scenes. Because I mean, who doesn't want to see how Rihanna puts everything together? But if you watch it the way they put it together, and I don't really know why they did it that way, it's like a lot of spoilers, you know, because I feel like enough about the show had just leaked on social media and everything that I already had some idea of what was going on. And then to have to see the making of, it just made the fashion show 
a little anticlimactic, not totally anticlimactic. Like it still was, was wonderful and I still appreciate it and stuff and I still thoroughly enjoyed it. But, you know, again, if you just want that feeling kind of more of surprise and everything, I suggest you just go straight to the show. Um, now, another major pop culture thing that happened this week, at least major in the stuff that I consider important, um, and something that I have really only imagined over the years, I really never would, I never thought this would happen, really. Um, but Janet has released um, all of the remixes from the Rhythm Nation era to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Rhythm Nation. And um, it's really amazing because a lot of these mixes um were in the U.S. They were only on vinyl. Some of them were promotional only. Um, they were only on CD in Japan. So I mean, I have them all on CD from buying the Japanese versions. Um, you know, from like Tower Records and stuff back in the day. But just to have them so readily available, just to stream, is really just um, amazing. Because truly, these remixes, these Rhythm Nation era remixes mean so much to me and they completely shaped my experience of the album and a lot of people say well what do you mean Craig about that because the album's amazing why would these, these remixes need to shape your experience of the album well I will tell you now let's rewind back to 1989 okay now by this time and this is my personal story okay but by this time I had fully transitioned from being like a freestyle music junkie Okay, to becoming a full-on househead. Um, as a black gay man, I was very proud of the way that house was influencing pop music um, and R&B music because I knew that black gay men invented the shit, okay? So at the warehouse in Chicago with Frankie Knuckles Jang, I mean, that's the history of house music. No matter how it has been... Um, What's the word? It's not, I mean, it's kind of been erased by default, just not um, brought up enough how the roots of house music are in black gay culture, um, even the name house music. So at the time, I mean, every time a major pop or R&B artist had a house influence remix, I really felt it signified black gay men putting our stamp on the culture. Um, it meant everything to me. I mean, that was like... Yeah, that's us. Yeah, that's us. Okay, yeah, they needed to remix that because they know that we, how important our sound is. Oh, they know they needed to remix this according to our aesthetics because they know how important we are to the music buying audience. And it felt very like that for me. You know, I know it's kind of not, people don't really appreciate how mixes like they used to, but that's the way it was back in 1989 through the 90s, okay? And, um... So easily at the time, one of my favorite, the favorite, my favorite album of um, 1989, and my one of my favorite albums of all time was Foundation, the debut album by Ten City. You know, which is really, I think it's, I think that's one of the first major house music albums where everything was house, like on a major label because it was on Atlantic. So like every every song was house, and it wasn't trying to be R and B or anything like that. It, it was just it was house music, um, and although they weren't, I don't think anybody in the Ten City is gay. I don't know, but you know, it was by it was just so powerful. It was like these three black men as a trio 
doing house music on a major label and everything. So that was one. So let's establish that was kind of one of the main things that I was doing in 89 and that I was listening to and that was kind of shaping my taste. Okay. Now, we, you also have to remember that 1989 was the year Soul to Soul dropped. And when Soul to Soul dropped, um, with Keep On Moving and followed up by Back to Life, it changed the whole sound of R&B radio, okay? Everything was either remixed to have the Soul to Soul sound or, um, you know, just made to have the Soul to Soul sound. There were hits like um, Sybil's Don't Make Me Over, had that beat, Quincy Jones, uh, his remake of I'll Be Good to You with Ray Charles and Shaka Khan, we was remixed to have that beat, and that was the major version of the song that was played and in the video and stuff like that. So, and the Soul to Soul sound, you know, it had that big beat, but it was very different than the kind of um, electro beat of New Jack Swing and stuff. It, it kind of made the sound and the drums much more organic, and it was a very spare sound. You know, and it was a much more kind of fluid um, rhythm than the kind of jaunty New Jack Swing beat. So anyway, so you have on the one hand that I'm kind of influenced by house, and then you have on the other hand, I'm kind of influenced by this strip soul-to-soul sound. So when Miss You Much dropped, I mean, I'll be honest with you, like with this big kind of industrialized sort of... um evolved new jack sound i mean i wasn't really fucking with it to be perfectly honest with you because i it was kind of too hard and over the top for me and like it even sounded a little dated to me kind of i was you know thinking that it was sounding too much like control era stuff because it was just so hard and so like you know with these industrialized rhythms and everything like that and then i felt the same way about the song Rhythm Nation. I mean, I love the visuals and the mini movie and all that kind of stuff. Another thing that needs to be remastered and put out digitally. But um, I wasn't really feeling the music. I'll be 100% honest with you. So the remixes really became my gateway into the album because it was more in line with the other stuff that I was listening to. Um, the remixes were. And ultimately that led to me appreciating the album versions. Now, it's, the whole thing started basically with Shep Pettibone's house mixes of Miss You Much. Shep had, of course, added all those great, you know, like, those flourishes to the single version of Pleasure Principle. So it made um, sense that he was asked to rework, you know, the first single from this new project. But the interesting thing is that by 1989, Shep had really become closely associated with one of Janet's chief pop chart rivals, Madonna, because he'd remixed the iconic Into the Groove for her You Can Dance remix album, and more importantly, his remixes of the title track to 1989's Like a Prayer, and then the album, the title track to that album, and then the second single, Express Yourself, his versions of that, his housed-up versions of that, really became the popular versions of the songs, um, that were played on radio, and they even re-edited the videos, the MTV videos, to go with Shep's remixes. So, 
that was the context going into this Miss You Much remix. And he does this mix, you know, it's fantastic, has this great kind of charging house-influenced sound. And that drops in August 1989, okay? Keep track of the timeline here because I'm trying to make a point. So here come Madonna in March 1990 with her Shep-produced song Vogue that has nearly the exact same track as the Janet Miss You Much house mix. You can especially, now that you are able to hear it on streaming and stuff very easily, you can especially hear the comparison on um, the similarities on the house dub of Miss You Much. Now, I'd be lying if I took credit for noticing this similarity myself. Similarity myself. Um, so I'm kind of fronting, but because it really wasn't until 2001 when I was doing my first Janet cover story for Vibe. One of two. My first Janet Jackson cover story for Vibe that I had this pointed out to me by the great Jimmy Jam. Now, just putting you in the context of what was going on, it was in the con- okay. So we were discussing um, potential remixes for "All for You," and "All for You" hadn't dropped yet; it hadn't been officially released. And of course, I'm so into remixes that I probably brought up, "Oh, who y'all gonna get to remix um, it?" I actually can't stand any of the dance remixes of that. I think they were all by Thunderpuss, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But anyway, so. Um, I was just saying to him that I was like, whoever you get, just get somebody with some damn soul because I feel like Janet's music is always sort of a pop arm. It's, it's not always, but you know, the, a lot of the singles have that kind of pop R&B blend. And I feel if you go too pop with the remix, then it gets kind of in the cheesy territory. So I always like her remixes with a little bit of soul because that pulls it into, you know, a little bit of a more um, sort of underground, sort of, um, what am I trying to say? Just, you know, a more soulful direction, basically. Um, And so he he was like, well, who, you know, well, you have all this talk. He didn't say all that, but it was basically like, he asked me, well, what are some of your favorite Janet remixes? So I immediately mentioned my co-number ones. Um, they like two children. I can't choose between the two. They, they, they like twins. That would be the Death the Bass mix of Got Till It's Gone, um, which would, would be really nice to have on digital. And the um, classic 12-inch mix of Because of Love, both of which were done by Frankie Knuckles, the godfather of house and a proud black gay man. And David Morales. Um, I'll put both of those on the website. And so, you know, and then I went on and I was like, you know what? Back in the day, I used to love Shep's house mix of Miss You Much. And child, without missing a beat, he went, you mean Vogue? (laughs) And Janet, who was standing right next to it, started cracking up and saying, Jimmy. You know, and I was like shook. Because it was immediately clear to me that these, <laughs> the Miss You Much remix and Vogue were almost exactly alike. And I was just like, how could I have not noticed that? For, I've been listening to that mix for like 12 years. So anyway, Shep, and I, you know, this is no diss to Shep because I still think he is one of the best dance pop remixers of all time. You know, which is quite separate from being like the best house remixer of all time, which for me, would easily go to Frankie Knuckles followed by Masters at Work. But in terms of, like, pop stuff, in terms of, you know, 
just like great Pet Shop Boys remixes and just so many people's uh, Karen White's romantic mix. I could just go on and on. Um, but he, this is him saying, um, you know, this is him kind of talking about the Janet mix. I mean, talking about the making of Vogue. And this is an interview on Billboard that ran in 2015. And like, in it, he kind of makes it seem like Vogue influenced the Janet mixes. But like, if you keep track of that timeline, and like I said, I told y'all to keep track of that timeline, then it's very clear that Janet's Miss You Much would have preceded Vogue. But anyway, uh, this is what he told Billboard in 2015. Um, he said that after the success of Vogue, everyone wanted the same sound. Um, he said, I wasn't in the habit of repeating myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a certain groove to it that I carried into some of the Janet Jackson remixes and a couple of others, but never recreated, recreated it. Now, child, how you going to call out the good sis Janet Jackson, out her good name, and the release dates say it isn't so? Because, okay, so here, here's more, here's more, let's get more detailed into it, okay? So Vogue was actually recorded as the as the B-side to Keep It Together, which was the sixth single from Madonna's Like a Prayer. You know, basically you're going into the sixth single, you know, people are getting kind of tired of the project or whatever, and you want the single to sell, so it makes sense you want a new B-side to it, you know. Um, and so he did it, but the record company liked Vogue so much that they decided to, 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 to they decided to hold it from being the B-side to keep it together and make it the first single from the um, Dick Tracy soundtrack. But in any event, Keep It Together was released in January 1990, which is still several months after Miss You Much. Okay, so again, I don't see how the timeline, the timeline clearly seems to be that Miss You Much came first. And in this Billboard article, he also mentions that Vogue was done on the cheap for $5,000. And I mean, I guess it don't take much money when you're using a track that Janet done already paid for. But nevertheless, um, I mean, to me, since the remix was inspired by the chords and the original elements of Miss You Much, which was written by Jimmy and Terry, I mean, I really feel like they had the grounds for a lawsuit. You know how... These lawsuits being like that Isley Brothers, Michael Bolton lawsuit with the Isley Brothers one and the songs ain't even sound the same and nobody even heard of the Isley Brothers song or like the whole um, blurred lines thing with Got to Give It Up. So, I mean, to me, there are more things that are more um, sonically different that have won lawsuits than this. But I think they didn't go down that road because, I mean... Janet would have looked petty as hell for her producers to be suing Madonna, who was one of her top competitors. So I think, you know, there was no way to for that situation to work out in Janet's favor in any way, shape or form in terms of like the press coverage and the public perception. So I think they probably just decided to let it ride and I guess just drop the occasional shade when a reporter like me was standing nearby. Incidentally, the South Soul Orchestra, South Soul Orchestra, did sue Shep for copyright 
infringement over Vogue because of its similarity to the single Ooh, I Love It, Love Break, which was actually remixed by Shep back in 1983. Okay, six years before the Miss You Much thing went down. They lost, but you can decide for yourself. I'll put the South Soul Soul Orchestra song on the website. So lastly, on this particular matter, you may be wondering, well, you know, after all that, what is Shep up to now? Well, according to this Billboard article in 2015, he's left the music industry and went into the hotel management, um, went into hotel management and apparently is running the Empress Hotel and Paradise Nightclub in Ashbury Park, New Jersey. So go figure. And like I said, I still think Shep is a remix god, but this particular situation is what it is. Um, Hold on, I need to take a sip of my Red Bull. So anyway, since the release of all the Rhythm Nation mixes, folks have been like, now how do I make my way through nearly 90 goddamn mixes? I can't really help with that, but I just would say that's kind of a glorious problem to have. Um, But I have made a playlist of my five essentials, you know, the ones I just really think are um, key. And this, of course, includes the house dub of Miss You Much and also Shep's Housecapade mix of Escapade. And, you know, the thing, the thing that I really like about these remixes being released, and but I hope they're not taken in the wrong way, because I've been noticing that a lot of people, a lot of younger people, and for me, younger just means less than a half century years old, don't really appreciate remixes. Um, and I mean... To me, it's so important that if you're listening to like a 90s remix, like an 80s remix or a 90s remix, you really have to put yourself in the mindset of how it was back in the day when house remixes really did represent black gay men making an imprint on popular culture. Um, even if we weren't necessarily the artists making it or the producers making it, it was our sound. And that meant a lot in those days. And I just really hope that people, especially black gay men, don't take that for granted when they're listening to the mixes and don't just dismiss the mixes because it might not be your taste now or something like that. You might never, it might never be your taste, but I just really hope you listen with an appreciation of how important that was in that particular moment, that these weren't just kind of throwaway mixes that you know didn't really have because nowadays you know people put out mixes it's not really that um people don't really galvanize around them or anything like that but at that moment in time they were really really significant because you also have to remember this was a time when clubs were the center of gay culture whether black gay culture white gay culture any gay culture clubs were the center this was in the pre-grinder days pre um What's that app I just signed up for? Was it Chappy or Chippy? Now I have to find out. I don't want to be wrong. Um, where you find friends, child. Because um, sometimes you don't always want to be fucking. Uh, Chappy. So anyway, um, it was before all them days. And, you know, it was also important to remember that in this particular, because a lot of people are like, well, I went clubbing in the 2000s. And, you know, I don't really like remixes. I don't really see the need for remixes. Well, because this were the days when DJs didn't just play one random song after another. Um, 
something that really started happening in the 2000s with the Britneys and the um, teen pop people and everything like that, where people, a lot of times they would just play the, in the club, they would just play that one little pop song after the next pop song. This really came at a moment when um, pop music started transitioning out of being R&B dominated in the 90s to really just being kind of pop music, you know. Um, but back in the day, the DJs didn't, in the, in the 80s and 90s, like the DJ didn't, didn't just play one random song after another. It was a continuous mix. So it was very important for a pop or R&B song to be remixed to a certain tempo, tempo so that it could blend in with other dance songs. And I mean, I cannot tell you how thrilling it was to be on the dance floor and you dancing and you dancing maybe to the latest club hit or something. And then you hear this little beat kick in. You're like, oh, that's a cute beat. I like this little beat. And then all of a sudden you hear like lyrics to um, a song that you know from the radio or a song that you love, like from a major pop, I mean, major artist that you love, like Jan- a Janet Jackson or somebody like that. You're like, oh, like it's just to do hear that for the first time, it just was so fucking exciting. It was a whole ass mood. So, yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, it was just so, so unexpected. You didn't know it was coming and then it would just be mixed in and then it was just this mix of, you know, the dance tracks and the remix tracks and everything. And it was just this really... um sort of exhilarating moment, you know, and then the, it was very exciting when you heard it the first time because it kind of snuck up on you. But then the next time you were out on the dance floor, maybe that next weekend, you knew kind of what it sounded like. So then when it came on, then you were really excited. Like, oh, it's the new Janet remix. Oh. So anyway, I just would hope people kept that in mind, keep that in mind um, when streaming these new mixes, that these mixes served a purpose. They were remixed for a reason and they function especially these janet mixes they functioned very well in that particular um in the way that they were meant to function so and i mean i know that for me as a black gay man like i said it was just like such a feeling of pride to when you heard house mixes because it was like this is house music this is our music and they're making our music now of course you know, like I said, a lot of times we weren't the artists. And a lot of times, you know, Shep's not a black gay man. A lot of times it wasn't even black gay men making the sound for the remixes, but it was still a feeling of, you know, okay, we're being acknowledged, you know. And one mix I definitely suggest that you check out among the nearly 90. Um, But I really hope you at least listen to this and just kind of try to put all the context of what I'm talking about when you listen to this mix, is the Junior Vasquez make a change dub of State of the World. Because, I mean, I've been on dance floors where the stat has come, mix has come on, and folks, you can see folks tearing up. I know I've teared up when dancing to that song, and like, um, you know, just that repeated chant of you can make a change, that just hit so hard in the late 80s when so many of us, late 80s, early 90s, when so many many of us were either battling with AIDS or advocating for people with AIDS, and just this, and, you know, and also just LGBTQ rights, you know, 
fighting for those in the late 80s and 90s. So it was just, and that chant of you can make a change in this, in this Junior Vasquez dub, like that was such an anthem, such a battle cry. And that is the context um, that surrounds these Rhythm Nation era remixes, which brought us so much joy at a time when it felt like we were fighting for our lives. And in many cases, we were literally fighting for our lives. And this was the soundtrack of that time. So it is so much more than just a little throwaway dance remix. You know what I mean? You have to really listen to them in the context of what all was going on and in the context of what this meant for black gay men at the time. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I won't because I definitely was um, trying to talk about other things too. <laughs> but I've been talking so much about these remixes. But I'm glad I did because I just really want to set the context for y'all when you are listening to these um, remixes, especially if you're listening to them for the first time. You know, if you were up, if you were there during the day, then you know, you know. But if you're listening to these for the first time, really kind of understand, I want you to be able to understand what they meant to people at the time. Um, and I'll include two of my favorite, on the website, I'll include two of the uh, my favorite Rhythm Nation, remixes of Rhythm Nation songs that weren't among the batch of reissues. One is C.J. McIntosh's beautiful piano-driven house mix of All Right, which was only available on vinyl in the U.K. And, of course, he went on to provide us with fantastic mixes of That's the Way Love Goes, um, including the one that Janet mostly does in um, concert with the little added little doom, boom, 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 booms. So... <laughs> For <laughs> what's that's worth. And then um, a more recent remix of Love Will Never Do Without You by somebody named Course, which I just love. So I'll put that, I will share that with y'all. So like I said, I've been running my mouth. I wanted to talk about other things, but I guess that's what next week is for. Um, but do me a favor, if you like this episode, please rate it, rate the podcast and share it with a friend who also might be so inclined to like it. Um, and also don't forget about the links on craigspoplife.com. So you can, you know, listen and then you can go through and, you know, listen for yourself what I'm talking about. Don't always take my word for things. Go on the website and go, you know, this Adele remix really, uh, Go-Go makes really into all that. Or, damn, this Adele Go-Go remix is better than Craig even said. Or the same thing about these other mixes I'm talking about. Just go and see for yourself. Okay. And until next time, I want y'all to be cool, be kind, be creative, and in the words of my fave, be your damn self. <laughs> okay, y'all. I love y'all, and I thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you. Well, I'm not seeing nobody, but I will talk to y'all again next week. Bye.